This morning, I want to go back older in the Old Testament, all the way back to the book of Joshua, the sixth book of the Bible, and look at a story there, and from that story, challenge all of us, and I'm starting with me first, as I usually do anytime I share, to live above something that has been a challenge since the beginning of mankind, but I dare say increasingly more so with our modern lives. Joshua, as you probably know, is a, the story of conquest. It's specifically about how God directs and leads His chosen people, the nation of Israel, the Israelites, to take possession of the so-called promised land. God essentially told the people, His people, the Israelites, that, hey, listen, I am giving you the best land there is. This land flows with milk and honey in the middle of a desert. I'm giving you this land. Now go take possession of it. And if you understand the Bible, you know how fascinating that instruction is. I'm giving it to you. Now go take it. And he said, I will be with you every step of the way. In fact, the promise of God from that is that I will never leave you nor forsake you. I love that promise of God. No matter what he calls you to, his promise is that he's going to be with you every step. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. I heard a great preacher say once that to, to, to not forsake means... I'll never turn my back on you. I love that. No matter where we find ourselves, God promises never to turn His back on us. And so Joshua chapter 6, it tells us of the, the first and perhaps the most famous of their conquests. This is where we read about the city of Jericho. The city of Jericho was believed to be unconquerable. It was surrounded by this seemingly impenetrable wall. This wall around Jericho was some 40 feet tall and six feet wide at the top, wide enough that they would race chariots on top of that wall. It was believed to be impenetrable, and God gives the nation of Israel this simple, albeit crazy, instructions about how to defeat Jericho. Just line up and march around those walls once a day for six days, seven times on day seven, and if you do it as I prescribe, and you begin to shout, and the trumpets begin to play, and those walls will come crumbling down. Well, sure enough, as is always the case with God, it happened just as He said it would happen. And we see the results of that at the end of chapter 6 of Joshua. Read with me, verse 27 says, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his reputation spread throughout the land. You can imagine how quickly that news must have spread. This new nation entering into this new land, this promised land. And suddenly their first city to approach and to attack they defeat it really without lifting a finger they foolishly just marched around the wall silently god would not let them shout until it was time to shout on day seven lap seven silently for six days and they defeated those walls this is the rumor that began to spread not a rumor but the story began to spread across the land the walls crumbled yes they just shattered they just fell to the ground and and this nation took over and you can imagine the reputation and the fear that entered into the people across the promised land and all of the inhabitants and especially this god that this nation is allegiant to and so that's happening and then chapter 7 opens with this dramatic change of mood and so before I read verse 1, I want to remind us of a simple command God made to the, to the Israelites about Jericho. In verse 17 of chapter 6, he spoke to the people, Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. 
Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed, and you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into His treasury. Simple enough, simple instructions. Don't take anything out of Jericho. It is either to be destroyed or deposited into my treasury. Plainly enough spoken, the people knew, and then we read verse 1 of chapter 7, but, and any time a verse starts with but, there's cause for concern. Amen? But Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of these dedicated things, so the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. Can you imagine they had just come off of this victory against Jericho, this miraculous deliverance of the city into their, their hands. The reputation of them is spreading far, far and wide quickly. God gives a simple instruction, and we read verse 1, and it says, but, but they disobeyed. This man named Achan had disobeyed a direct order. And it says, you will bring trouble. God had warned them, if you disobey this, you will bring trouble to the people. Let's read it, the trouble that Achan brought. Verse 2 of chapter 7, Joshua sent some of his men from Jericho, the land they had just conquered, to spy out the town of Ai, east of Bethel, near Beth-Avon. When they returned, those spies, they told Joshua, there's no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two or 3,000 men to attack Ai. Since there are so few of them, don't make all our people struggle to go up there. It's not even worth troubling us. So approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their courage melted away. It's not hard to imagine their confidence I mean, again, after watching what God did at Jericho, we would feel confident. They were almost arrogant, even. They're going to this next AI, this country, this small, insignificant place. It's just the next step on our battle plan. Hey, it's not even worth bothering all of the troops. Just send a couple of thousand up there, take care of business, and we'll set our sights on the next one. That's what they did, and they were soundly defeated, the Bible says. Can you imagine what Joshua and the Israelites were thinking? Hey, wait a minute. At Jericho, we, we didn't really have to do anything. We marched and we shouted, and the walls crumbled, and the city was ours. And now we go to this smaller place, and like we're defeated? Like the reputation, it's spreading already. The inhabitants are scared. They're fearing the Israelites. They're fearing this God we serve. And now, what's the story? Oh, hey, he was with you at Jericho. He's clearly abandoned you. Look out, we're coming for you. So Joshua is desperate. He's crying out to God, like, God, surely you didn't bring us here to destroy us. What on earth has happened? Please explain to me what happened. And God basically tells him, hey, I gave you simple instructions and you disobeyed. There's sin in the camp. And until that sin is eradicated, I am no longer with you. And so the process was undertaken and they discovered soon that it, this man called Achan, who had taken the things, who had disobeyed God's order. And so the Bible says they gathered Achan and all of his family and all of his belongings, and they all, the entire nation, they gathered in what would soon be called the Valley of Trouble. And we'll see why it's called the Valley of Trouble from verse 25 and 26 of chapter 7. Then Joshua, they're gathered there. Joshua says to Achan, why have you brought trouble on us? 
the Lord will now bring trouble on you. And all the nation, they stoned Achan just as the Lord had instructed, and they, they burned them and their possessions. And, and the Bible says that the Lord was no longer angry. I read that to then take us back to verse 24 when they're, before, when they're gathering up Achan and everybody. So verse 24 reads this, and it adds, it worsens really this horrific commentary on Achan's actions. Verse 24, Then Joshua and all the Israelites took Achan, the silver, the robe, the bar of gold, those were the things he took from Jericho against God's instructions, but then also this, his sons, daughters, cattle, donkeys, sheep, goats, tent, and everything he had, and brought them to the valley. Donkeys? Sheep, cattle, goats, sons, daughters? Really? Like Achan was a man of means. Achan didn't take these few things from a position of need. No, he took them from a position of greed. Why on earth did he have to take them? I mean, Achan didn't need those things. He was probably among the well-to-do among the crowd. You know, and as I was thinking through this, I had to pause and remind myself that before I start throwing my own stones at Achan, I've sadly been guilty of the same thing Achan was guilty of. He simply began to want something that wasn't rightfully his. The Bible calls that to covet. He was discontent. He was dissatisfied. He saw something that he wanted, and he took it despite it not being rightfully his. You may have heard the story of the two old friends who bumped into each other on the street one day, and one of the fellows just looked depressed. He was terribly sad, and it was obvious, and so his friend was concerned for him, and he said, my old friend, what has the world done to you so terribly? He said, oh, you haven't heard? Yeah, three weeks ago, and I had a distant uncle died who left me $40,000. So the friend says, well, I'm sorry to hear about your uncle, but wow, $40,000, that's a lot of money. He said, no, you, you don't understand. A couple of weeks ago, I had this cousin that I didn't even know who died and left me 85000 Like, well, again, I'm sorry for the loss to your family, but another 85 grand, like, man, this, this is a lot of money in a couple of weeks. And he says, man, you're just not getting it. Last week, my dear old great aunt, God rest her soul, beautiful lady, she lived to the age of 100. But she finally passed, and she left me nearly a quarter of a million dollars. Well, at this time, the, the friend is, is confused, certainly, but he's also irritated. Like, okay, I understand your family's had some losses. Doesn't particularly sound like they were close to you, and you're talking about nearly $400,000. What on earth is wrong with you? And his friend doesn't change his countenance and looks at him and he says, this week, nothing. <laughs> they got it. For the rest of you, this week nobody had died. Nobody had left him a red cent. So he was depressed. Okay, that joke worked better in the first crowd. I'm not sure what happened. <laughs> Did they tell you I was going to tell it? Okay, all right. That's the trouble with receiving something on a regular basis. Even if it is a gift, we eventually come to expect it. You want to test someone's character? Give them $5 a day for a month and then stop. See what their response is. Day 31, day 32, and so forth. They'll thank you for the first several, perhaps through the, the entire month, maybe. But when it stops... They'll come looking for you, right? And it's no different for the blessings that God just pours into our lives. At least it's not for me. Again, I'm preaching first to me as I always do. 
I truthfully don't deserve the family God's blessed me with. I don't deserve the home that we live in or the cars we drive. And if you know the cars I drive, you're laughing at that. But we don't deserve all the nice modern conveniences that we enjoy, the fancy cell phones that we have. And we don't enjoy those things. We don't, we, or we don't deserve them, excuse me. We don't even deserve really clean drinking water. Now, we treat all of these things as rights now, but they're just blessings from God. But you know what? Sadly, I have received them for so long that I'm afraid I am not so much grateful for them as I am expectant of them. You want to test it in your life? Let one of them go away for a period and see how you respond. Let, let the electricity go out during your favorite show or guys during the Super Bowl or whatever game you enjoy. We'll throw an absolute fit, right? Or, teenagers, let the Wi-Fi, the Internet crash and be down for a solid hour. Can you imagine an hour without the Internet? Desperate times. <laughs> or, if you're like me, you're traveling, and you discover that there are still places on Earth today without cell phone coverage. NASA guys, I need your help. That does not make sense to me in 2021. How is there a speck of dirt on planet Earth that does not have good cell phone coverage? I don't get it. I need help understanding that. And as you can tell, it's frustrating when you reach those points. Like, really? Like, what's keeping it from here, you know? Or let a global pandemic strike and go looking for toilet paper. You folks have come to expect toilet paper. You're not expressing gratitude for it. You're expecting it. Well, to understand how this happened to Achan, let's look a little further into who he was because on the surface we can just assume that he was just a, a common thief. He was the kind of guy that was always looking for something for nothing, just looking for a handout. Saw a few little things laying there and was just going to take them. He was just that kind of guy. But the truth is Achan was from one of the more prominent families of the noble tribe of Judah. Achan's father and grandfather and great-grandfather had lived for a century in Egypt under those cruel taskmasters. Achan's own life as an infant was somehow spared when Pharaoh commanded that all the baby boys be killed. His parents and grandparents saw the rise of Moses and Aaron, and they knew all about the miracles that God worked through them as they commanded Pharaoh to let my people go on behalf of God. It was Achan's father who experienced deliverance through the opening of the Red Sea, only to then watch their enemies perish in the waters. It was he who saw the quail falling from the skies to feed them meat. He was among those who would go gather fresh manna every day. He was among those who saw water flow from a rock in the middle of the desert, unexplainable, all miraculous. Before them stood the pillar of cloud and, and the nights and the pillar of fire at night and all the stories that Achan's grandfather and great-grandfather must have told him, that's how they passed these stories down, generation to generation. They would have told him, surely, of the great patriarch Joseph, of how his brother sold him into slavery, but God took what the enemy meant for evil and he used it for good to save our nation. He delivered us from a worldwide famine. Those stories were what shaped Achan. Achan would grow and become a man and fall in love and get married and have sons and have daughters and somehow prosper and collect that day's spoils of success, flocks and herds. And then that same Achan had not just a front row seat, but he participated in God's victory 
at Jericho. He was among those who daily marched around those city walls in silence, only to show up the next day and do the same thing, the anticipation building till day seven. Can you just feel the, the energy in the crowd? I love to think about day seven. I love to think about them waking up before they've made the first lap and they're gathering still in silence. God commanded them, don't speak until. And they're walking around those walls and nothing's happening. There's no shaking in the ground. There's not a pebble that's falling. Jericho chariots and soldiers are mocking them. But then lap seven. <laughs> lap seven and they, be, they begin to think to themselves, this is when God said it was going to happen. And they're getting close to the finish line. And they know and their faith is building. The anticipation is building. And they cross that line. And God had said, now lift up your voice in a shout of triumph. The trumpeters are playing. They're worshiping. And then the ground starts shaking and that wall starts shaking and it just crumbles to the ground. Achan was there when it happened. He didn't hear about it. He was there. He was among them that saw that amazing victory miraculous victory from God. Such was the man called Achan. I don't know what happened to him, but if you'll allow me to just think, perhaps he had heard about and seen God do so many amazing things that he found himself losing his sense of awe for who God was. Maybe miracles began to take on more of a commonplace. They happen so often, I expect them. That's just who God is. He does that kind of stuff. I'm not amazed by it anymore. Maybe he began to normalize what was abnormal. Instead of maintaining his sense of gratitude for all that God was doing in his life, he just began to take everything for granted until slowly he slipped into this entitlement mentality. And then on that day, again, I'm just imagining what must have been going through his mind. The command was simple. It was plain. Everyone knew but he sees those things lying there. Maybe, just maybe for a split second, he thought, I deserve those things. I, I deserve, they're right here. Hey, I participated in this. Hey, I marched around this stinking city for a week. I deserve those things. We, it's so easy for us to see this entitlement mindset in others. And frankly, it's, it's nauseating when we see it. It's repulsive to us. But the harder thing for me is to see it on the inside, to see it inside this flesh. And that's where the real danger lies because the, the, the danger is as that entitlement grows, it begins to destroy my sense of gratitude. And I've learned that a healthy sense of gratitude, a, a spirit of thankfulness, a thankful heart, if you will, it serves as a great barrier to sin. You want a healthy sense of gratitude because it serves as a great barrier to sin. It's that entitlement mentality that can destroy the thankfulness because the greater my entitlement, the less I'm thankful until finally I'm not really expressing gratitude for everything in my life. I'm expecting all of that. I'm entitled to all of that. I've earned all of that. So now all I can do is focus on that little bit I don't yet have. I'm not giving thanks. I'm coveting really that was what the bible would say i'm wanting something that's not rightfully mine and i don't know about you but my sinful mind if i let it slip that low it can convince me that i deserve it that i deserve anything i want and if i don't get it it's not my fault it's your fault 
you owe me. And I might even sue you for it. I'm kidding. But the world's not kidding. Just look at some of the lawsuits that fill up our courts today. Years ago, the San Francisco Giants were, they were sued and lost for handing out Father's Day gifts on Father's Day to men only. They lost that battle. Sort of seems strange to me. Or consider the psychic who was awarded $986,000. She's bitter about the fourteen grand that would have made it an even million. When a doctor, she sued because a doctor's CAT scan impaired her psychic abilities. If you think about that long enough, you, like me, would love to go back and represent the doctor at the trial. You put her on the stand. Miss Psychic, I have one question. Did you not know prior to the CAT scan that you should not have gotten the CAT scan? Come on, how psychic are you? $986,000. I'm afraid a couple of you are going to go use that strategy and try to get some money. Just remember to tithe if it works out. Um, I'm not suggesting, I'm just reminding you. As a Christian, this can be ugly. As believers, we understand every good and perfect gift comes from above. Listen, we don't have the air we breathe without God giving it to us. I don't have this heart on the inside of me beating without God's gift. Amen? It's all from Him. And when we lose a sense of gratitude and we develop instead this sense of entitlement, it's nauseating and it's dangerous. It can rob us of our relationship. There's probably not a parent in the room who hasn't been close to losing your cool or over the edge of losing your cool at an ungrateful child. Don't raise your hands because they may be in the room with you. The Bible calls this grumbling. Grumbling. You ever done any grumbling? Who in the room has done some grumbling in your lifetime? Okay, now, the rest of you, this question is only for you. Who the rest of you has done some lying in your time? <laughs> Like grumbling. That was your opportunity to raise your hand in church. Some of you didn't. Half the room didn't. All right. Those are the sweet people. Let's hang out with them. They're, they don't do any grumbling. Paul, the Apostle Paul, heard about a spirit of grumbling and complaining at the city of Corinth as he's penning his letters to them. And so he's warning them and he's reminding them of what happened to some of the nation of Israel when they were in the promised land and God was guiding them and providing for them. Every step of the way, God fed them every day. He made sure they had water in the desert. The Bible says that the, the soles of their shoes did not wear out in 40 years. God did all of that for the nation of Israel, not, let alone rescuing them from Egypt's bondage. But if you read, they are constantly grumbling and complaining every step along the way. And Paul reminds the church at Corinth, don't grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. He's like, hey, God does not like that. Well, thank God for the New Testament and His grace, amen, or we would have more empty seats and an empty spot on the stage right now. We're thankful to be part of the New Testament covenant. But God does not like grumbling and complaining because He is a blesser in our lives. And we can avoid that, but one thing we must understand is that more gratitude, because the answer to ingratitude, the answer to grumbling and complaining is more gratitude. But we have to understand that more gratitude will not come from more stuff but from more awareness of God. More stuff's not the answer. If you want to know proof, ask the person with more stuff. Ask someone with more stuff. Ask them. Ask the person that has the most stuff that you can imagine. 
They'll still tell you, no, it's not from more stuff. It's from more awareness of God. Proverb writer in, 20, in 2720 says that human desire is never satisfied. It's never going to be stuff. It's God. It's His presence. If we'll pause to consider who He is and all that He's done, we can't help to develop a deeper sense of gratitude. If we have our thoughts fixed on God when we give, we're reminded of how thankful we are for all He's given to us. When we for forgive, it is because we remember how much we've been forgiven. When we resist temptation, it's out of a heart of gratitude for the price He paid, the awful price He paid so that I could be forgiven from my sins. Our worship becomes more genuine and more passionate as an expression of this deep gratitude. Yes, thankfulness, gratitude keeps us spiritually centered. I had something happen to me a few years ago that was kind of interesting. It was a first for me and, and really kind of a last, too. Nothing like this has ever happened before or since. And I had a friend call and ask if he could stop by my office. And I said, sure. And he must have been in the parking lot already because moments later he's in my office. And, and he was uncharacteristically nervous, just kind of fidgety, kind of strange acting. And so I'm like, okay. And, and he sat down, stood up like three or four times before he finally got settled. And he pulls out this legal, this yellow legal paper with his handwriting all over it, several pages. And, and I could tell something's up. So I was like, well, what's up? And he said, um, this, is, uh, this is strange for me. He said, but I, I feel like God woke me up this morning with a message for you. I said, really? That is interesting. And he said, um, and I'm, I'm nervous because it's pretty straightforward. And I don't want to offend you. Well, I'm freaking out on the inside, but I'm spiritually mature to fake it on the outside. So I say, look, brother, if God told you something for me, let's bring it, you know. But, and then under my breath, I'm praying, Lord, if you want to offend me, please do it personally. Don't, don't invite him to do it. And let me pause and say, you have to be careful of something like this. And I knew then to be careful as well. This was a trusted friend. He was also a mature believer. And so I gave him the the platform to share and sadly as soon as he began to share it all resonated with my spirit i knew in fact god had indeed because god could not get through my thick skull unfortunately he had used a friend that i trusted to get a, <laughs> a needed message to me and in short the message was i wrote down some of it i still have that message as you would imagine but in short it was that I had sunk to this place of grumbling and complaining, that God knew that I was on this search for something, but that I forgot to seek Him first in my search. God reminded me that if you seek me first, my kingdom, my righteousness, I'll bring you to a place of fulfillment greater than you can imagine. But if you don't seek me first, it was a loving rebuke from a trusted friend to essentially return to my first love, to be reminded of this amazing God that I knew and served and who loved me and had blessed me and placed me in places and had not forgotten about me and was still guiding and leading and had a plan still laid out and all I had to do was to seek Him first and to trust Him for all things. Again, it was a beautiful message. I'm so thankful for it. I'm still thankful to this day. I wish I could tell you I don't need reminded but from time to time, I do still need to be reminded of my deep sense of gratitude for the amazing God that I serve and the amazing life that He has blessed me with. So my question for you 
Are there areas of your life where you've lost your sense of gratitude? Has entitlement replaced gratitude in any area of your life? Have you forgotten to express thanks to God for all that He's blessed you with? Instead, are you spending your mental energy grumbling and complaining about the little you don't have or what's wrong or what's missing? I challenge you. I challenge me. Let's awaken our sense of gratitude for God and all that He is and all that He's done. Let's seek Him first. Let's trust Him with everything else because gratitude's the answer. I have to think, if Achan had just paused, if maybe on day seven he would have gotten up early, and, I'm, and again, I know I'm taking creative license, please, I hope you can hear the message despite me using creative liberty from the passage. But if he had woken up on day seven and, and thought about days one through six and what they had done and, and what this day held, if God's word rang true and reminded himself, God's word has always rang true. I've heard stories my entire lifetime. I've, my, my parents have told me miraculous stories. I've been a part of miraculous stories. If he had reminded himself and, and just spent some time thanking God for everything, and he'd, he'd started thinking about how amazing he's out there walking and he's getting close to lap seven, and, and then at, on the close of lap seven, sure enough, this wall starts crumbling down before him. If he had just taken time to realize what is happening right in front of him, all he's been doing is marching, and now he's yelling and praising, and God is giving them this victory. I, I just can't help but think maybe he would have gotten lost in worship. Maybe he would have found himself, Lord, this, this is awesome. Like, God, we never could have done anything to deserve this. This is the promised land. We are going to go and take it. We will possess it for you in your name. Thank you for enabling us to do this. Thank you for loving us. Maybe he would have gotten carried away and not even noticed the robe and the gold and the silver that Satan placed in his path to trip him up. Maybe he would have been crying out to God by now, Lord, I, just want, I want to thank you also for parting the Red Sea for my parents. God, I want to thank you for sparing me as an infant when Pharaoh was doing his best to kill all of us. I want to thank you, God. You have been there for me and with me every step of my life. Thank you. Maybe, just maybe, when his buddy later asked him, Hey, man, did you see all that loot? When those walls fell and we were taken over the city, man, there, there was gold and silver and fine garments everywhere. Maybe then Achan could have replied, Man, I have to be honest with you. I didn't notice. I started thinking about the stories that I heard my grandparents and my parents tell about the miracles of God. And I thought how crazy about the miracle that I'm in the middle of right now, that all we did was march and it's happening, as God said. I got caught up thinking about His undeserved goodness in our lives. I hardly noticed anything. Isn't Jehovah wonderful? And this buddy could have praised Him with Him. You know, the sad irony of Achan's story is that had he just been obedient, had he followed the simple command from God, not only would he have spared himself, his family, his nation, the trouble that his actions brought to it, but he would have later been blessed with more than he could have ever imagined. Every battle, battle subsequent to Jericho, God said you can take all the plunder that you can carry. There's no limit on it. If he had just been obedient... If he had just trusted God, if he had just known, the answer is to seek him first. It's to trust God. God's never let us down. 
If God's asking this, He knows best. I'm just going to be faithful. I woke up this morning, as I sometimes do when I'm called upon to share, and I just had this thought, like, what, what, what is the message? Not that I didn't have it prepared. <laughs> Don't want you to think I'm that dumb. I had all of this prepared. But this thought, like, Lord, what, what's the message? Like, what is the one-sentence thing? What do I want everybody leaving with? What do I want to leave with? I, I somehow felt like that was missing. And having my quiet time, and then I'm getting ready, and I'm having, I have worship music playing, and, and then thankfully this song came on, and it's one of my favorite artists, and he's not the most well-known artist, but most of you probably have heard his name, Leland, and one of his songs entitled First Love Fire began to play. And since it's him, I'm, I'm listening more so than others, and I'm, I'm listening to these lyrics. I'm really not a lyric guy. I'm more of a, a melody kind of guy. I like the beat and I like the rhythm, but for some reason the lyrics begin to grab me, and I'm so thankful because I, I finally just take a moment. And I say, that's the message, Lord. Thank you. That's what I want to walk away with, and that's what I want everyone else to walk with. So I had to print the lyrics, and I highlighted a couple. I would encourage you to go... Download all of it. It's, just, it's a beautiful song. Here's the message that Leland says in this song. Remember, I'm wondering, what's the message here, God? And he starts off by saying, I remember when all I knew to do was sing your name. And I remember when all I longed to do was give you praise. Jesus, light the first love fire in me again. I want to fall in love with you again. Back to the start where it was all about one thing. I want to fall in love with you again. And I remember when I couldn't wait to tell someone I was lost within the joy and gratitude for all that you've done. Oh, to be thankful again, Lord. Jesus, light the first love fire in me again. I want to fall in love with you again. I hear him singing and I start singing and I start thinking, God, that's the message. Because I have to believe that if Achan on that morning or sometime then would have just asked God, I want to fall in love with you again. Would you stir, light the first love fire in me again? Remind me that it's all about you. Remind me of those times when I was filled with that joy and so much thankfulness for all the stories I'd always heard. And I'm telling you this morning, that's my message to me. God, wake me up in that. 